Welcome back to the United Pubcast, the podcast of the official Man United Supporters Club here in Sydney for the season preview. Finally, that we have reached the season. Obviously, you'll dread the, when the season finishes. Obviously, last season, you think, oh, I'll go, I have to do pre-season. have to wait around. It's going to sort of drag and it's going to be boring. Obviously, all that is the case at times. But ultimately, um, pre-season went extremely quick for us Australian Reds because um, half of it was in, in Melbourne and in Perth. So it flew by for us. Obviously, no shortage of news in regards to Manchester United around um, whether it's the only club anyone wants to talk about. So there is nothing, um, never short of a topic. Obviously, the Ronaldo situation, the Frankie de Jong situation, which we'll touch on. And um, more importantly, George, actually football to touch on um, this week. We do have Brighton. We'll have a Brighton preview maybe tomorrow or Friday, which will be a little bit more specific. But today will be a little bit more sort of season orientated and we'll look at expectations What's more important? Is it top four or is it a trophy? What does Eric Ten Hag need to stay in a job if things go sort of sour? What does his football need to show? So we'll get into all sort of season predictions, maybe in terms of we'll touch on the World Cup, Champions League, not that we're in the Champions League, but who we think are going to have good seasons because there are other clubs um, other than Man United. So we'll touch on all that. But George, um, talk to me, mate. How's things? Yeah, pretty good. Obviously still recovering from Melbourne like the rest of us, not with COVID, but yeah, still coming down. Well, one of the few that didn't get COVID down in Melbourne. Um, fair play to you. But I'll just say good day to Adam in the live chat. Good to see you, mate, as always. If you do join the chat, please do get all your thoughts in um, in the comments for us to sort of dissect any. Uh, we'll go through sort of, as I said, season expectations and we'll touch on the news because there is sort of big breaking news around Manchester United at the moment in regards to the Ronaldo situation. But we'll wait for a few people sort of get to get into the live chat and join the stream before we sort of dissect all that, but there is plenty of news. The Dean Henderson stuff I haven't touched on, so we'll get into all that in a sec. But um, as a season expectations, George, or season preview, sort of looking forward to the season, it's one of those ones where Man United fans, so, okay, it's about winning the title. It's about winning a trophy. If in Sir Alex's prime days, maybe winning a double, even sort of trying to win the Champions League. Those are our sort of expectations. Those are our demands. Now, this last decade, obviously that is not the case. We can't demand that um, of this set of players in this club at the moment, unfortunately. So how do you, sort of, don't put out what you think will finish yet, but how do you approach this season as a fan in regards to what you want? Is it about football? Is it about success in regards to relative success, like a trophy or something? Just what, what do you want to see um, this season? I think based on what's happened the past couple of years, especially with last season, Ten Hag, I almost see, has a free pass this season. The only scenario in which I see him losing his job is if we finish outside of the top half of the table, which I personally don't see happening. I think football is more important this year in the sense that there are teams around that finish around where we are are also strengthening. So it can't be seen as a failure even if we don't improve on our ladder position. So we just want to see a clear identity. And speaking of cup runs, if we are in a high-pressure scenario, whether it be a penalty shootout or a tight game, regardless of the opposition, we want to show, be able to see that we have the character to stand up and finish that job off. On that, in regards to placing demands on this squad and, and the manager, because, look, I agree with you, the manager shouldn't lose his job unless sort of an unfortunate incident happens and here we are outside of the top 10 sort of thing when we're playing woeful football. I think the manager should be um, shown patience no matter what happens this season. But, again, we do need to place pressure and demands on him because he's the Man United manager and, of course, the players as well. So what like true like expectations in, in regards to, okay, yes, if we finish eighth or ninth, but the football is much better and we're done by a few bad VAR decisions or something, or we hit the crossbar for five times a match, okay, there are sort of complexities you sort of do have to take into account. But in regards to a firm expectation, 
in regards to success or placings on the league table? Um, what are you thinking? Um, sure, we can't be outside. Look, if we're talking strict expectations, we can't be finishing worse than what we did last year, especially considering that we've strengthened. And yes, uh, I know West Ham finished below us and they've strengthened with the likes of Skamaka and Villa have improved their squad as well. But realistically, they, they shouldn't. their squad depth shouldn't be competing with ours. Yeah, definitely. It's hard. We'll go through some oppositions in regards to our rivals. It's hard to throw West Ham into there, but if you actually look at the facts, West Ham definitely are uh, one of our rivals, unfortunately. But just say good day to Ian in the live chat. Good to see you, mate. And Matt has a question for you, George. I'm sure I see your Burwood Westfield. So I'm yeah, I do recall seeing him go, uh, as I was walk, going down the um, escalator, so around Macca's with that area, so in Burwood. Next time, go say hi. Have a bit of a United chat. George can sign some autographs as well. But um, with 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 Eric Ten Hag, where is his where is he placing his focus this season? Is he about implementing this style and getting the football, or is he realizing, oh, hang on, I'm not at Ajax, I'm not at Utrecht or wherever. I'm at a big job. I need my job is on the line. I need success, and yes, success isn't winning the double or winning a Premier League title. Obviously, in regards to where Man United are at the moment, it's an FA Cup or a Europa League, or maybe even top four. And that might be the priority. So what we talk about here where we want to finish or we want to sort of achieve. What does Eric Ten Hag? How's he thinking in regards to um, his job prospects? I think the early part of the season, especially the first month before the first international break, I think it's all about results for him because then if he has a results in the bank, then he can start trying to implement his philosophy, see how well the current group of players can adapt that. But if the results are going sour, trying to play his way, I, I just don't. Yes, as much as we like to show patience, and I would be showing him that patience as well. I personally, like I said earlier, wouldn't be sacking him unless we finish outside the top 10, which is a scenario we don't see. But ultimately, the media, as you said earlier, Manchester United are the most talked about club. He'll be the front page as soon as we lose two under Brighton on the opening day and so on. Yeah, well, we'll get into Brighton in regards to a Brighton preview in a little bit, or, or sorry, the next day. But um, Dion, good to see you, mate, as always. And Mike, good to see you. I've had a good chat with Mike um, in Melbourne um, pre-season. That was good outside the Players Hotel. But um, So do get your thoughts in the live chat in regards to your expectations. Or what, what do you want? Okay, we, we place demands in regards to what we expect of this team, but, but what do you want to see in regards to... Because for me, again, I'm old school. I'll take finishing 17th and a League Cup. I, for me, it is about trophies. I understand the importance of going out and sort of getting Champions League football and, and what that is able to provide. If you miss out on Champions League football, we'll get into the Frankie de Jong stuff. This is a prime reason why you need Champions League football because it very much looks like Chelsea have stepped in and they're going to get this deal done, in my opinion. We'll, we'll go into the specifics of that in a little bit. So I do understand and appreciate the benefits and the need for Champions League football. But I don't remember in five years' time remembering qualifying or finishing fourth on the final day. I remember um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic winning it um, the League Cup final against Southampton. I remember those moments over Champions League football. So it will be interesting. But um, Matt here saying if Ten Hag gets results, do you think the Glazers will spend money? The manager situation is interesting in regards to we back a manager, then they get Champions League, then they stop spending money. Or when we're in the Europa League, you give them all the money to get back into the Champions League. But this inter this first window is interesting because Eric Ten Hag has come and you think, okay, Europa League. So this is a window where we spend all the money to, to get back into the Champions League. But if you look at it and compare him to previous managers in regards to Louis van Gaal's first season, Mourinho's first season, and even Solskjaer's first season, 
I don't think you can put it in the same category as, in terms of those managers will backfire more. You look at the money and players Louis van Gaal brought in that first season. You look at the it was almost the infamous window under Jose Mourinho and the big money spent there. And obviously you just look at Solskjaer and Harry Maguire and Wan-Bissaka. He was definitely maybe not the players he wanted, but financially he was definitely backed. So here we are, George. I'm saying Eric Ten Hag hasn't been fully backed. Not yet. Uh, maybe we'll have a different debate in two or three weeks' time. But they're not backing him like they have previous managers in this situation in regards to we're in the Europa League, spend the money to get back in the Champions League. That simply hasn't happened this window. I think Dion brings up a decent point in the sense that the CEO was different at the time. Obviously, it was Ed Woodward in those previous windows. But the other thing I'd like to focus on as well in terms of Richard Arnold's transfer, transfer negotiation tactics is that he's noticed that in previous windows, we have overspent for players who have ultimately not worked out, which has led us to not be, us not being able to sell them and us um, gaining a reputation in the transfer window whereby a club could just hold out to the last minute and know that we'll stump up the full price. So maybe by not splashing that cash straight away, we are re- restoring our reasonable reputation in that transfer market and therefore not being ripped off. And the other thing we have to factor into account is we weren't necessarily chasing targets like we are this year with a player that obviously United isn't his first priority in Frankie de Jong. In previous years, whether it be Lukaku or Pogba, they, for whatever reason, United was their first priority. Mm. Well, we'll touch on um, sort of the current news around Frankie de Jong and Chelsea in a little, little bit, but a question for you, George, and a question for the people in the live chat. What would you prefer this season? Would you prefer Eric Ten Hag to come in and the football be brilliant and we're going forward attacking football, winning games, and we're in, let's say, a so-called title race, maybe not sort of challenging up until the final day, but in that sort of second, third position on the table and sort of looking like a good season and you're not even thinking about qualification for the Champions League, it's just a foregone conclusion, you know we're going to get top four, or would you rather a season where you may be sitting in sixth, seventh and eighth for the whole season, bouncing around, maybe qualifying for top four, but you win the Europa League? Ultimately, if you win the Europa League, you get into the Champions League. But that's something I'd only be targeting but off, if we off, don't get that top four. Football. Well, would you rather win Europa League off worse football than play better football and still get the same result but no trophy? If you know what oh, I definitely mean. not. Definitely not. I've had my thoughts about the Europa League on this podcast on this podcast many times, so I'm not going to do it again. It's it's definitely the first option for me. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and there's definitely no wrong option in regards to it. Maybe I'm just old school in regards to. I know it's not the Champions League. I fully understand that. But League Cup, Europa League, I have no... League Cup, FA Cup, I'd take those in a heartbeat. Yeah, Yeah, look, I do understand your thinking. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. A question here from Mike, and we might as well go straight into this and we'll come back into the season preview. But since he's brought it up, this was the topic for a little bit later. What do you think of Henderson's Frank interview? I can sympathise with his point point of view. I'm sure, it's not the best idea to air out dirty laundry. Ronaldo doesn't set a good example with his behaviour. We'll get into the Ronaldo situation and Eric Ten Hag's thoughts. But George, did you see the Dean Henderson interview? I actually did catch that. Yeah. Look, we've discussed the goalkeeper situation plenty of times. You've got the goalkeeper shirt on there. Um, plenty of sort of debate over the last couple of years in regards to David De Gea, Solskjaer and um, Dean Henderson and how that sort of trio sort of worked and what was promised, what wasn't promised. Um, form when both players were in, who was better, who was better for the attack, who was better for the defence, what did results look like. It was a never-ending debate, which I think I thought should have sort of just been nipped in the bud straight away and one of them sold. Now, I thought it should have been Dean Henderson. Some people thought it should have been De Gea. I thought one person should have been sold. Otherwise, this was going to drag on and carry out, unfortunately, in the way that it has, with Dean Henderson getting in front of a microphone and sort of, whether you call it bad mouth in the club, but going in on the club and sort of everyone involved, 
I think that is the result of not dealing with it back in Solskjaer's first season. Whether that be Solskjaer, whether that be the club, I'm not sure. But that is why I wanted that decision to be made now, which is, again, why I want the Ronaldo decision to be made now so it doesn't become an issue in six weeks, in six months' time. But just on that, in regards to he was scathing, he said, okay, the club promised me the number one spot. I got COVID. David Dahe had the spot and they didn't give it back to me. I wanted to leave. They didn't let me. He just he went full in on the club. But now I can understand his frustrations. For me, though, George, he comes across very arrogant and very and, and maybe all professional footballers need that touch of arrogance and touch of confidence and sort of belief in their ability. With Dean Henderson, though, like I can understand a Ronaldo or a Messi or a Ibrahimovic with them having that confidence. With Dean Henderson, yes, he's a good goalkeeper. He's played at Sheffield United. He's played on the bench at Manchester United. Now he's at Nottingham Forest who are going to be in a relegation battle. I like the confidence, but in my opinion, it's a little bit misplaced, and I think it came across in this interview. I don't think it was a good look. Now, you could argue Ronaldo has the same feelings at the moment, but it's not airing them on a microphone. Dean Henderson has just been honest, and you sort of do have to respect that. In my opinion, though, I don't think he came across well. I understand why it didn't come across well, but ultimately, especially for a you know very isolated position as a goalkeeper, you do need that arrogance. Arrogance, sorry, you do need that confidence. Even if he comes across as being a dickhead, it, you just, I, I, I can always simp as a goalkeeper myself. I can I can always sympathise with him. Yeah, okay, yes, there is no such thing as a promise in football, even if he was promised that number one jersey, which I do believe he would have started against Leeds that the first game of the season did it, had he not had COVID. But ultimately, even if you are promised, if De Gea came in, took his chance and keep that spot, there's no such thing as a promise in football. But what I do think should have happened, though, is if he wants to leave and the club are holding back a future England number one goalkeeper who is actually a very disposable and sellable asset, we, we probably should have cashed in and sold it because ultimately he's... Transfer value is depreciated now by him not playing, and ultimately by him not playing, he's pretty much lost his place in the England squad now. Yeah, look, look, it's a debate that look, he's still a Man United player, so he's going to come back. Apparently, in the deal, it looks like I think Ornstein and Fabrizio Romano are saying there's no option to buy. So in 12 months' time, he's going to come back and be a Manchester United player, and he's going to face up to Eric Ten Hag and sort of share his honest feelings face to face. And we'll be doing the same debate then. We'll be having the same argument. And again, I've I put that down to. That first season under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I thought it should have been dealt with then. But we'll just quickly go back on a bit of a season, the season predictions and previews before we touch on the news in regards to Frankie de Jong and Cristiano Ronaldo. There are other teams in this league, George, unfortunately. Obviously, Man United are the only one who sort of do generate any interest, both amongst Man United fans and other fans um, by the looks of it. But in regards to other teams looking forward, feel free to put Man United in a title race if you want, George. Now, obviously, we'll try and keep this realistic. Chelsea or Liverpool? Uh, sorry, Liverpool or City? Who's winning the league? Or can you throw a spanner in there? The reason why I'm always going to say City over Liverpool is okay. In a one-off game, I'm backing Liverpool to beat City, but the way that City play football is just so overwhelming that I, I'm, gonna, I'm sure I've said this on this podcast before. Pep actually only has a 35% win record against teams in the top six over his time at City, but the reason why he continuously wins the league is that he takes almost full points out of teams outside the top six because. His yeah. brand of football is just so overwhelming that they can't deal with it. So do you think it's City? Do you think they're at City? Which I, I agree, and I think that's what Man United did so good in the nineties in regards to yes, you can lose big games against Chelsea or Arsenal back then, but or Newcastle at times sort of thing. You, you, that can happen. But if you go and smash everyone else throughout the rest of the season, the other eighty-five percent of games, um, that's where you're going to get your points, and that is very much what Manchester City do. My question about City though, and is why my tip. Unfortunately, I hate myself. My tip for the league would, is Liverpool this year. Do you think there's just maybe a bit of a 
too big of an overhaul at City happening. Like they're losing some experienced players and they're replacing, and obviously replacing with quality. Of course, there's quality coming in, but you never know how a transfer is going to sort of pan out, especially when there's a few of them. I'm just thinking, I think Liverpool look a little bit more settled. Now, I know there's been a big sort of change up front with um, Darwin Nunes and sort of Sadio Mane and how that sort of dynamic will change. But I just think at City, I just think there's a few big changes, especially if Bernardo Silva leaves for Barcelona. I think um, that potentially leaves them in a little bit of a hole. But for me, I, I, don't, I still don't see how that affects them against the bottom place team. For me, it's the style of football that's won them the league so often. Ultimately, there are 84 points available against teams outside the top six. And while they might only get 10 out of those 30 available against the top six, I, I just think they just cash in elsewhere. I oh, know that that could definitely happen, but you look at a, let's say, and for, and for me, like, Yeah, just that, that overhaul, I feel as though. I feel that overhaul, that effect, that's going to affect them in the Champions League. That's going to affect them in the FA Cup. That's going to affect them in the League Cup when, when they're in a tight game and they need that co- that general cohesion to work in the big moments. And that's more, more often than not only going to happen in those t- when they're pushed to their limits, which will be in a Cup game or against those big six opposition. I just don't see it happening that often against <laughs> teams outside the top six. Yeah, no, look, it's one of those ones where, say, fingers crossed I'm wrong because, like, I want City, weirdly, I want City to win the league over Liverpool because, as Vin says here, the world's ending, watching Tom put Liverpool as the league winners. But I definitely don't want to. And, look, I'd love City to win the league as bad as that is. You've got a spanner in the works. My spanner in the works is Spurs. I do think, and and I'm not not saying a Spurs or enough. I think they're now in but no, even as but even as United, like, I th- think you can throw United in that discussion, not as a surprise package for the title, but in that Tottenham and Arsenal category of my next topic here is the World Cup. In regards to it, just will, something weird will happen this season. Someone's gonna City might get 120 points or whatever the maximum is, or they might drop out of four. I think something weird with one of the big teams is going to happen, and that might be a Arsenal or ourselves maybe having a fantastic season. Who knows? But I just think the World Cup just throws something we don't know how teams and players are going to react. We don't know how managers are going to react around that time. We don't know how it's going to impact the January transfer window. And I just think that there is that element of surprise for me. So let's go a little bit international just for 30 seconds, George. Who are we actually tipping for the World Cup? I'm going to say Spain. And the reason I say Spain is because the, the way that they play their football is going to be very efficient in the heat that they're going to, that you're going to be playing in Qatar, the very possession-based style of football. Yes, it is high intensity, but it doesn't require massive, extensive running on the ball from players. That's not going to tire them. And they are going to run to exhaust teams off the park who, who need to put in that extensive pressing and, sh- and um, defensive shifting to be able to cope with it. High press teams, I do believe, will struggle with the heat in Qatar to be able to maintain that for 90 minutes. Uh, I, I don't buy air-conditioned stadiums. Yes, maybe with the fans, but it's 40 degrees out there on the pitch. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, no, look, that'll be interesting. I forgot about the air-conditioning. Um, stadium, um, Vin here say Netherlands for me. That'll be interesting. Netherlands are obviously, well, well, they're obviously a solid team. I think Netherlands are always that one nation. They're either going to win it or they're going to crash out in the group. Um, there's always those one or two just, countries. Um, you've spoken about something weird, just a weird stat about World Cups. The previous World Cup winner has always gone out in the group stage the last three times. Oh, it's, a, it's a very common thing. I, I remember who was it? Well, was France, Germany, I, Germany the first time France won the World Cup. Germany last World Cup, um, Spain the World Cup before that, Italy the World Cup before that. Yeah, but, but I remember well, Dion here saying France, and you do have to look at France in terms of it will be interesting to see if Paul Pogba's there. Not quite sure his injury status, but I remember France in yeah, 98 won it, 2002 yeah. lost to Senegal and got knocked well, out that, of the group they are stage. The, they are the epitome of go hard or go home. Yeah, so it will be interesting. I would like, 
weirdly Portugal. Uh, I just love that. I love the element of that World Cup sort of missing from the Messi and Ronaldo debate. And I just think now if Ronaldo leaves for Chelsea in a couple of weeks' time, I'll be all aboard Argentina and Lionel Messi winning the World Cup to get that debate over and sort in favour of Lionel Messi. But at the moment, as Ronaldo is a United player, and obviously Bruno and Diego Delo as well, and who knows, maybe Ruben Neves, I'd just like to see Portugal. I just think that throws a fantastic sort of element in that sort of Messi and Ronaldo debate. Now, maybe it's bad for the debate. Maybe you sort of do want that sort of continue to miss in the argument so that we can continue to debate who's better, Ronaldo or Messi. I think if one of them was to win a World Cup, it puts an end to the debate. I think it's no longer an, an argument sort of thing. So maybe it's probably a good thing if they do miss out. Spain is a shout for me oh, at the moment. Yes. I'll go Spain with you as well. I just think in terms of the way they move the ball, a lot of people do think it's boring. I think it's absolutely pretty intense to watch and pretty high on quality. But is there anything else in regards to season predictions or previews or in regards to what you think is going to happen, whether it be Man United or not, um, for this season before we move on with the news? Yeah, I think think the weird thing that does happen in the Premier League, it's either Arsenal are in the top, Arsenal or Spurs are in the title race because, it, yes, there is a World Cup, but I don't see many of their players actually getting picked for their teams, so there's not going to be too many of them that are affected. Or the other weird thing is Liverpool drop out of the four. If there's any of the... If there's any of the I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll take that one, George. I definitely will take if that one. If there's any if there's any of uh, Chelsea, City or Liverpool that do have a shit season, a like really shit season where they drop out of the four, I think it's Liverpool. And the reason why I'm not saying Chelsea, even though they have had the massive overhaul there, and I do think they will continue to make signings, and I do I do think Tuchel's a good manager to be able to sort them out. Well, if you do think Man United are in for a good season, please do leave a like on the video. That um that would definitely cheer us up on the eve of the season. Now, obviously, we, we've mentioned um, Frankie De Jong, Cristiano Ronaldo, which we'll get into in a little bit, but just one bit of news which has kind of gone under, under the radar, but I think it highlights so many problems, and the club is so happy for Frankie de Jong news to come out or Cristiano Ronaldo news to come out because we're sort of going to gloss over this. And it's Alex Tellez to Sevilla. And it's not Tellez going to Sevilla per se. It's people want him, want him to go or want him to stay. It's a non-debate. Do people value him over Shaw? Um, that's sort of up for interpretation. My issue is it's another loan and it's because they can't sell players. But I know we've sold Andreas Pereira and we're going to sell we're going to sell one or two players. But the reason you can't sell Alex Tellez, which, okay, you've brought him last year, you have Luke Shaw who's potentially going to sign a, you know, a new contract. I'm just thinking, okay, Tellez is surplus to requirements. But no matter your opinion, should he be playing or shouldn't he? In the club's eyes, he's no longer an option. You can't, you don't loan him out because you, you're not going to be bringing him back when Malassia's there. So I just think this is the time, okay, you have to sell Alex Tellez. But Man United can't do that because apparently he's on close to 100K a week. And I'm just thinking Sevilla aren't going to pay that, obviously. So instead of buying him, they loan him. And I'm just thinking United put themselves in this hole so so many times. And I just think this is glossed over because I, I think I'll, I personally I would have kept Tellers over Shaw, but obviously Ten Hag has chosen Shaw. Fair play. Okay, move Alex Tellers out the door. But you can't move him out the door because of so many bad decisions um, previously. And here we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot with Alessandro Martinez, and I'm not saying he's going to be a poor signing, but let's say him or Ruben Neves comes in, we're going to put them on 250k a week. And in two years' time, when they're apparently not good enough, we're going to try and sell them. We can't sell them. So I'm just thinking this comes back to what Ralph Rangnick was talking about when he first came in, saying you have to get players on their first contract, first or second contract. What was Phil Foden? Phil Foden just got a – he's going to earn seven times more than he previously did because he was still, for the last couple of years, paying sort of getting paid 10 grand a week sort of thing. And I'm just thinking that is sort of so long gone at Man United, unfortunately. So 
just am I talking nonsense there, or do, do you believe I have a point in regards to no, the, the inability point. to let players go? I think that's definitely true, and you can almost tie Dean Henderson into this. I'm sure if Ten Hag could have, or Solskjaer could have, back when he first had him, he would have sold him. But ultimately, he even Henderson is on a contract where he's on 115 grand a week. What what just newly promoted team is going to be able to match those wages with a transfer fee that United would command for that? And if you want to tie that with Tellers, are uh, Sevilla going to be paying a left back 120 grand a week? Probably not. And I, yeah. I think yet yeah, I think um, Richard Arnold even hinted towards that when he had his um, infamous pub meeting that pre- that um, bad decisions had been made under the previous regime, and ultimately that's what one of them is. So when we're talking about just tied into an early discussion that we've had today, um, whether the manager's been truly back this window, I think we're when we're considering that, we're also trying to learn from our past mistakes where we're not overpaying players and putting ourselves in a situation where we can't sell them. It'll be interesting. You mentioned Richard Arnold in the pub there. It'll be interesting. Obviously, there are protests planned by the 1958 group ahead of the match against Brighton. It'll be fascinating to see Richard Arnold sort of tries to intercept them on some at Busby Way for a bit of a drink. Um, Obviously, that will come out in the wash. But Tom here, good to see you, mate. Um, Hello from France. I predict we'll finish fifth or sixth in a battle with Arsenal, who looked really impressive in pre-season as well. Look, as much nonsense and sort of banter we throw Arsenal's way, um, you do have to give them credit. Uh, well, speaking of Arsenal, speaking well. of Arsenal banter, Arsenal or nothing's coming out on um, Thursday. So I've, I've seen one or two of the. I, I saw that snippet of Arteta playing "You'll Never Walk Alone" at the training ground. Managers sometimes, and I think this happens in all fields, but especially football, try and complicate things and try and do things that it's not them, but they try and think, okay, this this will look good. This will look like I know what I'm doing. And seeing there is absolutely no need to do that. Now, logically, you think, okay, it might have some benefits, obviously. No, not playing you know, vocal alone over speakers at the training ground. It's, it's nothing. And Dion, you've got the answer. They need to change the title of that show. Like, it's, it's a great show no matter what happens, even if you know what happens. But you can't have a question when you know it's nothing or nothing. <laughs> it definitely wasn't all. But um, look, I'll leave it to you, George. What, what do you want to discuss first? Um, you can flip a coin or whatever comes to your mind first. Frankie Dion or Ronaldo? Um, your call. I think while we're talking about spending too much on players, transfer fees and wages, let's go for Dion. Okay, Frankie De Jong. This was my feel. look. Larry and I sat in a pub a couple of weeks ago, even before Melbourne said Frankie De Jong's going to sign this week. That was about two months ago. That didn't happen, and it looks like Frankie De Jong might not sign now. So do get your thoughts in the live chat in regards to the Frankie De Jong situation, because David Ornstein, who has had his finger on the button pretty much this whole transfer window, has said Chelsea are in serious talks with Frankie De Jong now. Now his situation, regardless if it's to Man United or to Chelsea, his situation with Barcelona is the same. Nothing's going to change there. He still owed the wages. Will he change his approach to those wages in regards to getting out of the club now that Chelsea are involved in regards to Champions League football? Gary Neville has spoken about hearing from a third party that London is playing a bit of a pivotal role instead of moving to Manchester. So my fear over the past week or two has been if a club comes in, because in terms of the transfer fee, 60, 70 million for Frankie de Jong is a bargain. So that's always been my fear. And I had this with Rafael Varane and Jaden Sancho. I'm thinking, why aren't these other clubs in for them? So this whole time with Frankie de Jong, I thought, why isn't Manchester City? Why isn't Chelsea? Why isn't Bayern Munich in for Frankie de Jong? It's always baffled me, but here we are. Chelsea is straight in for him. And I have a feeling, George, this is going to happen quick. This has been dragging on for months with Frankie de Jong and Man United. I have a theory now that Chelsea are in. They're going to get this deal done within within a week. Now, that could be overreactionary. Um, Frankie de Jong might be Man United bound in a couple of days. I just have a feeling Chelsea are going to get this done because, one, Frankie de Jong, Barcelona want to sell. Barcelona obviously want rid of Frankie de Jong. 
Champions League football, London. Uh, I can see it happening. He obviously doesn't want to come to Manchester United. All the camp, all the noise from his camp has been, I want to stay at Barcelona. I don't fancy Europa League football in Manchester. And it just sounds like not a match made in heaven. But for Barcelona, I can see this deal being done. Yep, I agree. Just firstly on Barcelona, the way they've treated him is absolutely piss poor. The way that they're signing new players left, right and centre and can't afford to pay him the 15 million of wages that he's owed, that's... That, for me, is poor form, and it's just narcissism at its finest because they know they'll get away with it because La Liga won't punish them because La Liga know they need Barcelona, a strong Barcelona to improve their products. But as for them wanting to sell De Jong, that's clear that's the case if they're playing him at centre-back in pre-season. With regards to where De Jong's final destination is, it's clear that it um, it does it's not us in terms of his uh, preference, and I don't blame him. Ultimately, we've, through the last decade and the poor results and the poor mismanagement of the club, we've put ourselves in a position where that top echelon of players, such as someone of De Jong's quality, we're not their first destined priority anymore. And ultimately, yeah. that, that's why Champions League football is so important in terms of re- attracting those players. And regardless of the circus that went on at Chelsea last season with regards to their ownership, they are ultimately a Champions League team. They, they have had their sanctions lifted so they can sign players and by all reports, they are willing to cover that $15 million that he's owed. I still think it will be interesting in regards to... Now, it does look... Barcelona obviously do want to offload Frankie de Jong, but they do want to move him on. I think a different situation, but like Ronaldo, I think there's a situation where he stays at Barcelona. I, I think football-wise, he definitely does want to because you look at the team Barcelona are assembling now, they're probably going to have a good season. So I, I think Frankie de Jong, football-wise, is probably right to stay in Barcelona. Now, what how they're treating him financially, that's obviously a different debate. But a few comments here, sport gossip in the chat. What are the alternatives to Frankie de Jong, Clueless FC? Which is a comment here in regards to a little bit later, de Jong comes on here. When does our director of football step in? I'm not having it that we sign uh, Frankie de Jong or Molded Kid. There's Frankie de Jong in regards to Eric Ten Hag's influence and the football, the recruitment department's influence. Who has the final say? Who's pushing this? In my opinion, with no information on it, it sounds like Eric or looks like Eric Ten Hag is pushing this in regards to his relationship. And if this, if the club is then saying, we don't agree with this, but you're the manager, we're going to back you. you to, I don't know who you point the finger at. Do you point the finger at the club in terms of not stepping in and making sure the right business is done? Or do you point the finger at Eric Ten Hag and saying, okay, yes, he's an important player, but okay, sometimes you don't get what you want and you have to sort of deal with the situation and move on. So it's, it's I don't know who to point the finger at if this deal does fall through. <laughs> Unfortunately, it does look like it is going to fall through. But Vin here saying, I'm glad this is going away from us, top player, but I wouldn't want a player with baggage. Look, baggage is sort of welcome at Manchester United. Seems We don't sign player without um, baggage. But um, Adam here said, we've gone too deep with the young thing. We have to go all out no matter what now, which I can agree with. And also I can see but that scares me because if Frank Young honestly does not want to be at Man United and Man United sort of sort of cave to their, they want to save face and go all, all out to make sure this happens and pay the 17 million wages on top, I just think it sets a bad precedent, which we're trying to move, as Rich Arnold has spoken about at the pub. You don't want me signing the players. I think it's a dangerous bet. Ultimately, would you be shocked if the clubs sort of do panic and do it all, sort of all that it takes to get Frank and De Jong? No, you wouldn't. And that is a worrying sign, in my opinion. Tom saying, I'm sick and tired of the De Jong saga. To me, it's clear he's not going to United if he's to leave at all. I'm wondering if Eric Ten Hag has been obsessive or the board don't have alternative options. I'm, def- I'm sure that, like the Ronaldo situation, that does scare me as well in regards to all the eggs have gone into this basket. I don't think there is a plan B. Now, surely there should be in terms of t- a Ruben Neves or a Tillemans 
um, or one or two other players who you'd hope the scouting department are all over. But it seems to me there is no plan B. It's Franco de Jong and it's Ronaldo. And sort of if anything else happens, it's going to be a disaster. But Dion here is saying no manager in history has gotten all these top targets. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I don't want to point the finger at Eric Ten Hag. But if you do look at it, you think, well, move on, mate. Okay, this is an Ajax um, where you can sort of cherry-pick the best players from Holland. Um, we're six in the English Premier League. Though, there's far more attractive clubs than us at the moment. I know we have a fancy name on the front of our door, but um, it's not what it once says. So it will be interesting what happens there. But the name that sort of comes into that discussion a little bit is Cristiano Ronaldo. And, the, well, this was big news about five minutes before he went on air, George. Now, when I first saw it, I thought, uh, no, I don't know if that's quite sort of come from real reliable source. And it didn't look like it on Twitter. You can sort of have a feel on Twitter if it's reliable or not. I didn't look at it. Then I found the video of it. That's, wow, this video. It was in a different language. It was in Dutch. So obviously I don't, know, don't have a clue what he's saying. However, if you read the translation, I will get the translation up here as we go. But um, when you sort of have your sort of two cents on it, but he's come along the lines of saying it's unacceptable and he doesn't condone the players leaving early. Now, he was asked about all the players leaving early, obviously David De Gea, Bruno, Delo, Cristiano Ronaldo, and I think there was one or two more. Now, he's mentioned everyone. He didn't mention Ronaldo specifically. I don't think the um, interviewer asked about Ronaldo specifically either. It's about Ronaldo, obviously. So I'm just thinking when you didn't see, you didn't see the interview before we went on air, I was just telling you about it there. So just your first thoughts on Eric Ten Hag. It, it looked like a Man United interview. It looked like in the Man United you know, Old Trafford sort of media room sort of thing. And he just came out and said, I don't condone the players leaving early. It's unacceptable that all the players, and again, all the players should stay till the end. First of all, I like it. I don't like that how it's thrown a spanner in the works in terms of Man United came out 24 hours earlier saying that all the players had permission to leave. Now the managers come out and said, no, they didn't have permission to leave. So I like the balls from Eric Ten Hag. I like him taking a stance, um, putting his foot down and showing what we all sort of want to see, that no one's bigger than the club. But ultimately, um, I don't know how... Again, I like it. I don't like the circus that it's caused. And that's not off Eric Ten Hag's doing, but um, just your thoughts on the quotes. It's almost a microcosm of what is wrong with United in terms of communication from top to bottom. Whether let, let's put this back into the De Jong scenario, what, what's the what's the communication from our director of football and CEO to our manager with regards to which players we pursue? What's our plan A? What's our plan B? Because there clearly doesn't seem to be any communication about that. Even with something as small, whether it's big or small, that's your your own opinion, but players staying for the duration of the game, whether they have other commitments on or not. Just small little lapses of communication where we can't even convey that um, crystal clear into the media without contradicting opinions. What what, what do you make of it in regards to, first of all, just the honesty. I like the honesty from Eric Ten Hag, but what's Eric Ten Hag trying to achieve here? Is he just putting his foot down as, okay, I'm the boss? And that, that's what he's trying to achieve here. Is he trying to put pressure on Cristiano Ronaldo to force him out of the club? Is he – just what, what do you think is the reasoning behind doing this? Because he could have easily swerved it and said no comment or no, they did have permission. He could have easily got away from this and he's chosen not to, which, again, I like that he's chosen not to. But I just think I don't know what's going through his mind because it doesn't make his job easier unless the ultimate job in Eric Ten Hag's mind, which I don't agree with, is to sell Ronaldo and it gets rid of the Ronaldo situation, the Ronaldo so-called problem. Well, then he'll achieve what he wants. Ultimately, I don't think that's the case. So while I like it, I don't know what he's trying to achieve. I think it's one of those, I don't think he wants to appear as though he's being intimidated by a media question. 
as a new manager in a new country, I can understand why he's of that opinion. But it's just that he will learn very quickly that every media outlet will latch on to every little bit of imperfection that you convey, especially something like that with regards to the most marketable player in the world. Well, in the live chat, I'll ask you, George, but I'll ask the people in the live chat as well. We've talked about Eric Ten Hag and what he wants to sort of portray in this message. How does Ronaldo view this? So, George, I'll ask you and get everyone thoughts in the live chat. George? Do you think he's even heard this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he'll be made aware when he rocks up to training this morning um, of Eric Ten Hag's words. How does Ronaldo treat this? Now, uh, you, if you look at and again, it's about all the players. Obviously, it is about Ronaldo, but Eric Ten Hag, I, I think, will we'll treat everyone and he'll have a word to Bruno, he'll have a word to Delo, et cetera, and all those players. But in regards to the Ronaldo and this unacceptable line, I mean, you see it in the banner below, um, he lay, I don't condone this behaviour and it's unacceptable. Sir Alex Ferguson dealt with unacceptable behaviour every single week at Man United. He publicly said, yeah, this is unacceptable, and he dealt with these problems. So him, um, Eric Ten Hag saying it's unacceptable by Ronaldo, in my opinion, is not saying get rid of him, get out of my club. He has no future at Man United. I just think he's been specific to this one incident, saying this, you can't do this. Now, Sir Alex Ferguson, as I said, did that weekly at Manchester United and sometimes aired it publicly as well. So I, I don't think it's the end of the road or anything, but in terms of the way it'll be used as headlines, you can understand that it, it almost could be sort of the final dagger sort of thing. So on Cristiano Ronaldo, how does he treat this? Does he go... Okay, the manager's got a fair point. Okay, fair enough. I shouldn't have done shouldn't have done that. Or do you think he's going? Hang on, why is he talking about me? Who does he think he is? How do you think um, the forward sort of sees this situation? I think it's somewhere in the middle. I do think he'll understand that he has a fair point, but then I don't think he'll feel as though it was personally addressed to him, as he wasn't the only one in that scenario. So, well, well, what's he? The, the, and look, look, I agree. But in regards to the plays that we do know of, the other players were in the box. They weren't in the match day squad. Ronaldo was a player who was in, actually in the squad. So, yes, other players did leave. But did, does that change things to you? If a player sort of isn't in the matchday squad, are they in a different situation? To, I, I, I probably think they are. I, I, th- I think they don't. They, they could watch the match at home on TV. A lot of players who are injured don't go to the game sort of thing. So I think it is different for a player who was, was physically in the matchday squad. But um, just your thoughts on that. Is there a difference in regards to how Eric Ten Hag is addressing everyone? In terms of on-field commitment, obviously it's the difference. There's the players that are on the match day squad won't be playing. But in terms of in preseason, I think preseason is an interesting. It's not. But in, ter- but I mean, in terms of being at the ground and fulfilling all your commitments that the club expects you to, I don't think there is too much difference, to be honest. Yeah. And look, Eric Ten Hag and Ronaldo know the full story, or who knows? Maybe the communication isn't great between them. But Justin here saying, personally, I don't think there is any respect from Ronaldo towards Eric Ten Hag. I can see that. Personally, I don't agree with that. And look, I don't know. I have no sort of evidence that suggests that he does have a great respect or doesn't have respect for him. I don't know. I think he's a football player who sort of respects football managers and sort of his superior sort of thing. Now, obviously, the perception that comes with Ronaldo in terms of the behavior, not behavior, but the body language on the sideline, that obviously does sort of throw weight and sort of reasons for argument sort of thing. So, look, I don't agree, but I can understand. Well, I, d- I, disagree that, I disagree that he completely disrespects him. Ultimately, Ronaldo was part of a very good Juventus team that lost to Ten Hag's Ajax on aggregate 3-2 in the Champions League in that run in 2019. Oh, yeah, I, I think it would be one, let's say there is an issue between the two. I wouldn't say it's a disrespect. I think it would be, okay, he's, he's a good football manager. I respect his football in knowledge and opinions. However, I don't want to don't want to work for him because I want to play somewhere else. So I think there's yeah. maybe a little bit of tension there, not so much a disrespect. But, okay, my opinion changes every day, um, George. What happens with Ronaldo now? 
because again, I look back at that and I just look at the other clubs and the options. I know he's trying to get out. I know he's forcing the move through. I just think he stays. It's also, even if he does start the season with us, you've got to remember last year, he did play the first two games of the Juventus before he joined us. So even if he does play against Brighton and Brentford, I don't think that's any indication of whether he stays or goes. Yeah. I, I just think, is is there, a, is there a club who is a strong contender for the Champions League that is in need of a striker? Obviously Bayern Munich is the club that comes to mind with that, but they've publicly said they don't want him. Look, look the only other place you can see him going is... That, that could match his wages is probably Juventus or AC well, Milan. He, well, he's, he's, not, he's not going back to where he's been. I, I, the, the football, I don't understand how Bayern is in an option. I understand Bayern do things differently. I understand they've come out and publicly said they don't. I understand they work like that. I respect that. Fair play to them. It's one season of Ronaldo. Surely Ronaldo's camp can sell it to them. They're still going to win the league no matter what. I don't think it hurts me. If they don't have that number one striker, if, if this Sesco's guy, he's maybe their number one choice in a year's time. See how he goes one more season. Get him in a year's time. Have Ronaldo as a bit of a short gap. And Bayern, yes, they're a well-run football club, but they still have a financial and a commercial department who would reap the rewards of having Ronaldo there. So I don't understand why that deal just isn't being done, which leaves me, you talk about one or two other clubs, but for me, it's Chelsea. And that just scares me. And that, that is why I think Man United are so happy for this Ronaldo news to be out. It's what they do with other managers. It's what they did with Jose Mourinho, with Louis van Gaal, with even Solskjaer. I think they happily did it with Ralph Rangnick as well towards the end of his time. And I think they're going to do it with, ultimately, long-term, unfortunately, I think it's going to happen with Eric Ten Hag. But what's happening now with Ronaldo, it's what we're talking about. We're not talking about them selling Pogba, Matic, one matter, and not replacing them. No, that's where our focus should be. Our focus well. Our focus should be on these protests and the, I know there's potentially one, yeah, Martinez is good, Ericsson's good, Malassi is good. But ultimately, now this could change if we sign Franco de Jong and sign Sesco and sign all the players we want. At the moment, the transfer window is failing. Now that doesn't mean to say it will fail in a couple of weeks' time, but at the moment, it's been poor, very poor. We're in a far worse position this season than we finished last season. And we finished last season in a very poor state. But where's our discussion? We're not talking about the Glazers who just took 11 million pounds out in dividends. We're not talking about sort of the failing transfer window. We're talking about Ronaldo and his professionalism and his does he love the club or doesn't he love the club? And the club are happy to use Ronaldo as a punching bag. They used Jose Mourinho as a punching bag. They hung Solskjaer out to dry when players weren't putting the effort in. And I just think the club, while they sort of reap the rewards and want the commercial benefit of Cristiano Ronaldo, they're also happy to hang him out to dry and use him as a bit of a punching bag, in my opinion. Now, maybe he has that coming on. Maybe he deserves that in terms of what he's trying to do. I understand that. But I think the club is happy to just sit back and say, look at all the, here's your me, George, on this podcast here. We're talking about Ronaldo. We're not talking about the Glazers. And I just think the club are just happy to sit back and sort of smile. But it's also a case of how often can we talk about the Glazers? As well as we, we know what it is. Ultimately, there'll come a time in the season where we have an embarrassing result like the 4-1 loss away at Watford last year or the 4-0 to Brighton. And we'll talk about how the Glazers have ruined the club. But ultimately, it's... It's a discussion that doesn't change from 2006 to now. And maybe it gets highlighted even more after 2013 where Fergie leaves and the whole structure of the club falls apart. But it's just, it's generally the same discussion that you're having. When it's a new player or a new manager, when that becomes a punching bag, the, the discussion slightly changes. So that's why it becomes a bit more engaging and interesting, rightly or wrongly. With regards to Ronaldo, I don't think he minds this either because if he really does want to leave, which it appears, well, this, this, this is this isn't bad news for him. Yeah, no. But as I said, I think I think both parties kind of sort of like this um, for different reasons. But unfortunately, as I said, I wanted this done two weeks ago in terms of a solution. There was no solution done. 
I want it done now. What maybe this is the first sort of step in that direction in regards to Eric Ten Hag. I don't think that'll be the case. I think look, it's the third of August here. I think we're still another 25, 26 days of this, unfortunately. But Ryan here saying Ronaldo needs to be careful as there's not many around Europe that really want him. United can't let him go on a free to sporting, for example, be stumble. Um, yeah, in regards to the Pogba situation, letting him go twice, definitely. Dion here um, saying, I think maybe Bayern or Chelsea come in uh, late for him. Look, there definitely will be movement late in the window for Ronaldo, even for clubs who, let's say Chelsea say, no, nah, Frankie de Jong's our target or another player's our target. And Ronaldo looks like he's going to stay. Come Trent, that last week, there'll be a big push, whether to someone to come in and buy him or Ronaldo, a big push to leave Man United. I think that is why, unfortunately, I don't think um, there's any end in sight. But Vin, good to see you here, mate. I've been in the live chat for a bit, but um, do appreciate the contribution. Very much appreciated, mate. Um, I definitely owe you a beer. Great pod, lads. What do you think about the relegation candidates for this season? Which team is going to surprise us all? George, again, I'm not being deluded. Again, I think we might have a bad season, but the team who could surprise us is Man United. As I say, in that category of Arsenal, Tottenham, and those teams around sixth or seventh, I think it's one of those teams could have a big season. Fingers crossed that is Manchester United. Who knows, but is there, in your opinion, a team who could surprise us? And obviously, as Vin touches on, maybe a little bit more of an exciting discussion in terms of the show my age. I do love a relegation battle. So um, the candidates for relegation as well. I'm going to say what I said earlier. And the reason why I'm going to say Spurs is a surprise package, like, I don't think it's a surprise that they finished top four, in my opinion, and nailed on for that. I think they could even push towards the title for the reasons I've said, for the reason that I don't think they're going to have as many players as Liverpool and City out at the World Cup. And if something strange or a big injury happens at that World Cup, so long as it's not Harry Kane, I think Spurs can go toe-to-toe with City in, potentially with in Liverpool, especially with a manager like Conte. With regards to relegation, I think out of the promoted teams, Fulham, we know they're going straight back down. They're just Norwich in a different colour. For, Forest, um, they have assembled a relatively decent team, but personally, I, just, I don't think that's enough to keep them up. And I think the team that joins them going down is um, Everton. Everton, yeah. A few, few people started to throw them in as a bit of a surprise. Now, this is, might sound stupid, um, George. Tell me if it is. And in the live chat, if I'm absolutely way off the money here, do let me know. But have a discussion with a few people. I'm not, maybe not saying relegation, okay, but I'm saying in a real poor season and could find themselves in trouble. I have a feeling Leicester City could find themselves in a little bit of a hole. I just think if they lose James Madison, I think 50 million looks like um, Fafana's potentially going to go off somewhere. And I'm just thinking just the story from where they have been in terms of that fairy tale story of winning the, winning the league, just gradually sort of not really um, true, none of their wrongdoing, in, in my opinion, but never really progressed on that. Kind of sort of sl- slid down the ladder ever so slightly. Brennan Rogers sort of on dicey ground at times. I'm just thinking if they do lose one or two players, Jamie Vardy's not the goal scorer that he was. I'm just thinking if there is a surprise package at the other end of the table, I could see them maybe having a bit of a struggle in season. Not not that I can see. For, for my surprise package at that end of the table, not that they should be considered a surprise package in my opinion, would be Brighton now that they don't have Basuma and um, Kukurea. Mm. But um, with, with regards to Leicester, look, do I see them go? I don't see them finishing any lower yeah. than 14th. Ultimately, they still do have quality plays in their team, regardless of whether Vardy's the goal scorer there was or not. I, I do think Patson Dacca has adapted to that, will adapt to that one season in the Premier League. And if shit hits the fan, Rogers gets sacked, Poster Cogley comes in and saves the ship. Well, we yeah, always feel that Poster Cogley. He's, and I think that's the type of club I think his next move will be to the Premier League. Uh, unfortunately, he might not be in a, into the great environment. It might come into a struggling club, unfortunately. But fair play to him. He has done fantastic at Celtic. But a few comments to wrap up. 
Um, Tom here saying, to be fair, what can the club say about Ronaldo to quiet the situation? They are in a tough spot, the the club, in regards to how they do deal with it. So I, I do I don't sympathise with the club, but you can understand the challenges. I agree they would be happy to use Ronaldo as a punching bag, but this is Ronaldo's doing ultimate. And yes, Ronaldo definitely has yeah, also to blame in this as well, no doubt. Um, no hiding from that as well. Um, Dion here saying, don't discount United going for Werner either. Oh, look, you laugh, George. I like it. Now. I know, but he's a, he's a great footballer that just can't yeah. score. He's a yeah, great that's footballer. the thing. He can't score. He can't score to save his life. As a footballer, I, I he's think a great he's brilliant. footballer. He's always on the verge. I take of, him over uh, Rashford. I'm not, I'm not even joking uh, about that. I take him over Rashford in the heartbeat. Well, well you look at it in terms of who was playing Anthony. Yeah, but, but in regards to, do, do you see Werner as a wide player or a striker? I see him as more of an inverted forward if you're playing a three-four-three, yeah. which is why he suited Chelsea so so well. Yeah. Apart from not scoring, he it does look like he's going well. back to Leipzig though. So um, keep an eye out. I think that is a name that if he doesn't get his move and United panic on deadline day, who knows? Wesley here saying Ronaldo has to leave. No one is bigger than the club, as Ryan put up earlier. Fulham, Bournemouth, and Southampton. Southampton are a shout. Oh, it wouldn't be that wouldn't shock me. Well, it would shock me. But Arsenal always has a I way of getting them out of trouble though. Yeah, it's so annoying. I just think there's those clubs, whether it be a Southampton, whether it be a Leicester, I just think... They're the only team uh, that would lose 9-0 and not sack their manager, yeah. and it's happened twice. Twice. But I just think they're a little bit stale, uh, and maybe that's enough to sort of sort of keep Premier League football. Maybe they don't need anything special. I just think those clubs just need just a bit of a boost, and I don't think they have that at the moment. I just think there's at least five teams that are worse than they are. Potentially, yeah. Tommy is saying, um, team I'm eager to watch other than United is not in the forest. The way Cooper changed Forest so dramatically is special. The fans love him and the squad. Tom, uh, on Forest, regardless if they're going to be good, if they're going to be bad, what do we think of Dean Henderson? What do we think of... What are you pointing at, George? Oh, going down, going not down, on Forest. Going down. I was wondering what you pointed at. But... Um, what I just want to see is there a big football club? Obviously, the oh, one Europe, one the European guy, and I just want to see them back in the Premier League. In regards to, I, I'll prefer those clubs over at Norwich and clubs like now. Norwich were a big club back in the day, but in regards to, I think Nottingham Forest do bring something into the ground. Obviously, the City Ground it's a bit of an iconic football ground as well. I just think you'd rather see those clubs rather than like the clubs. I remember, when Wigan used to bounce up and down the Premier League. Like Wigan, that's a rugby league town, and it's not football sort of thing. So that's what I'm happy to see in regards to Nottingham Forest return. Justin, fingers crossed, I hope. Um, what, what do you think on Leeds, George? Justin's uh, saying that Leeds will go Marsh, down. I think Jesse Marsh is a very good manager with a pretty depleted squad. He showed how he could stabilise the ship and take them two or three places up the ladder. So for that reason, I don't see them going down. But yeah, yeah, for me, I, I, I just don't say how Everton's improved from last year. And they were in a dogfight the whole time. And Jordan Pickford can finally play at the level he deserves, which is in the championship. On just, that, just oh, had to get that in there. On that with Everton, just to wrap up a bit of a feel-good story. I don't know if you saw it, George, but did you see the oh, yes, uh, way? The guy substituted on. So one of those ones, look, I, I didn't sit there crying, but it was one of those ones you almost felt like the tears almost forming. If anyone hasn't seen it, go on to Everton's social media or just type in Everton fan penalty sort of thing on the YouTube or Twitter. A, a guy, I don't know exactly what he did. Uh, excuse my naivety uh, around the He subject, uh, delivered, um, delivered supplies to, um, into Russia or into Ukraine, Ukraine. Into Ukraine for those and, who um, houses are destroyed. So it sort of put his life on the life on the line, and sort of went into some dangerous territories throughout um, the conflict over there. And he came on down the tunnel, took his kid off Lampard, helped him with the jumper, put the Everton shirt on, got subbed on, and um, took a penalty. At, um, I think it's a Gladys Street end. I think at away at Everton on the right hand side, and slotted a well. Okay, the keeper let it roll in, but technically slotted a penalty home and went and celebrated in front of the fans, and all the players came over and sort of celebrated with him. And it was just one of those things I think every football fan, whether you're a Man United fan, an Everton fan, 
or a Leighton Orient fan, whoever, or an A-League fan with Sydney FC, I think it's something every football fan has dreamt of. Oh, I still dream of that every day, winning the lottery and having that chance to do that at Old Trafford. And I think regardless of – not that we have a huge rivalry with Everton, but no matter the club, I just think there was something good to see because we don't often sort of see good things in football. There's a lot of things that sort of make us complain and moan and anger us, but that's something I think all football fans can just sort of just sit back and just sort of – that was good. Yeah, 100%. And I, I guess the only other memory in my lifetime that I can think of that was similar to maybe the Bradley Lowry scenario would um, yeah. well, there's Sometimes yeah, you do um, see good stuff, yeah. yeah. But yeah, otherwise I don't see too much of that, unfortunately. Yeah, you definitely do hope we see more of it. And look, you don't want to see people put in bad circumstances to sort of give them that opportunity, but it, it is something good. He definitely does deserve a bit of a smile on his face and a moment that he will never forget. But it just pretty much goes close to wrapping tonight's podcast up. So please do leave a like on the video. If you are in the live chat, it's very much appreciated. And if you are new, please do subscribe because the season is upon us. So we're going to be having nothing but football talk in the next couple of days in regards to previews. And reviews. I'm probably more excited with the review if we do win, George. Obviously, the review could be put on the back burner if Brighton sort of do rock up and get the 2 0 at Old Trafford, which a lot well, of fans. Well, if, if worst comes fear. to worst, um, Crystal Palace will beat Arsenal 2 1. So that'll, that's what we can look forward to on Saturday morning. Well, there is the Premier League. We'll just do a bit of a Premier League preview because I'll pr- preview Brighton. I'll just get the Premier League fixtures up for this first game. Obviously, Saturday morning, our time for Australian fans. It's a Friday night kickoff in the UK. Where How does Crystal this sound? Um, binge watch, binge watch Arsenal or nothing. Then uh, see Palace get up on them. How does that sound for uh, all that? Uh, look, I, I don't have Amazon Prime. But do they release all the episodes at once, or do they do like one a week? Uh, it's going to be two a week, and then the last four come out of the fourth week. No, definitely. If anyone has an Amazon account, please send me the login details so I can have a good laugh at Arsenal's expense before they start winning the games in the Premier League because who knows, that could be a um, possibility. But you've got Fulham and Liverpool on Saturday night, 9.30, so unfortunately we're going to have to watch Have Liverpool ever started the season against a team in the top 10? I'm surprised they're not playing Norwich, to be fair. Um, maybe no, they're, they're, playing, they're, playing the, they're playing the black and white Norwich. <laughs> the same thing. But I'll just go through any other big games. You've got Leeds, Wolves, Newcastle, Forest in terms of Premier League sort of iconic uniforms. And and Newcastle, you kind of put them in a big club category now, obviously. Now, no, I don't know who they've sort of bought I think this they could push seventh. I think they could push seventh. They're, they're, they're one of those clubs. And I think if they get James Madison now, I'm not saying he's the answer to sort of propel them up the table, but I think it's a good solid sign in. I think Jerry Trippier backs a big in for them as well. Bruno Guimaraes the whole season. I think they're two big signings as well. Yeah, no, Newcastle will be fascinating. What you've got Tottenham, Southampton. Here's my smoking for the first one. If you want to get a little bit of an upset, I have a feeling you've just hit them for relegation, George. But I do think Everton could surprise Chelsea on the first day. Oh, I don't think so, but I think it'll be a very cagey one 0 win for Chelsea. No, I don't. I just I saw Dominic Calvert Lewin score. No, I'm not a fan of him, um, but I did see him score a header in training. Uh, a, a clip going around social media. I thought that's a decent header. And I was just envisaged that going past um, the Chelsea goalkeeper. I did also see Everton lose four 0 to Charlotte in preseason as well. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did see that as well. And West Ham, Manchester City. So yeah, unfortunately, you probably think Harlem's going to start the season with four goals. Although West Ham are a tricky team as well. But, um, it's at um, the Olympic comment. Stadium as well, so yeah. that throws a spanner in the works. We'll just wrap up here saying, Dion here saying, yeah, I'm starting to worry. I thought we would have brought in more quality. Oh, fingers crossed. There's still time. There's still a month of the transfer window. It's just frustrating that this should have been done so these players are ready to keep the ground running this week, not try and get the players in in two or three weeks' time when we could be nine points down on the table. No, who knows how these first couple of games are going to go. 
Um, Manchester City have their star striker in. Liverpool have their star striker in. We're still trying to convince someone, or our star striker one's out, and we're trying to convince the player to come who doesn't want to be here. So it's not a good situation for Man well, United fans at the moment. Sadly, the player that I would have brought in is on loan at Besiktas, so uh, unfortunate. Oh, where course did he go there, did he? Yeah, he's on loan at Besiktas, so yeah, he doesn't want to be stuck just to boost his World Cup prospects. Um, Ryan here saying Newcastle will be top 10. I think definitely. I think in terms of, well, oh, who knows, but in terms of the way they did sort of progress they, they last did, season. They did not win a game for 14 games, the first 14 games last season, and only finished nine points behind us. So, yeah, yeah I think they're Well, that, that second half of the ladder, because I never thought was, since January, I didn't think they were that good, like in terms of results. I thought, okay, there might have been an upturn in results, but I thought nothing of it. But then you saw the ladder in terms of January onwards. They were second they were for the third. whole. They're doing so well. So um, we'll wrap it up now as we approach now. But Tom here saying, yeah, Chelsea, I think will be very underwhelming this season. Look, I also think that, but mine, I think, unfortunately, mine's more hope. Um, but who knows? Um, Ryan saying there's our next strike, should Ronaldo leave Calvert-Lewin? Look, I'm sure United, I'm not a huge fan of him. I'm sure United will be all over that. I think that is a signing that United would, would intrigue United. But um, look, who knows? Ronaldo could be a Man United player in a couple of weeks' time. And it's a non-discussion point. But, George, as I said, I'll do a Brighton preview maybe on Friday instead of the Friday night pint, and we'll have a look ahead to the match. Um, any part and thoughts, mate? No, not really. Hopefully we can get that. I do think we'll beat Brighton. It'll be a very scrappy game, though. And, yeah, hopefully it's a start the season very well, get two wins leading into what will be a tough game against Liverpool, which I do weirdly f- fancy us in. Yeah. <laughs> I back us more in that Liverpool match than I do against Brighton. I have no idea why. No, I think I, I think Brentford's the banana skin game for us. I think I back yeah. us against Brighton. I think Brentford at um, what's their stadium called? The Brentford Community Stadium. We're in a bit of trouble there. Yeah, no, fingers crossed. It is a good start to the season. But as I said, please do leave a like on the video. Make sure you are subscribed. So when we do go live, when there's a bit of breaking news, probably around Ronaldo, who knows, um, you are notified when we go when we do go live. Please do hit a like on the video on your way out. And um, we'll chat to you soon. Cheers.